worship. We also welcome those that are listening on Facebook, uh, listening on the radio and watching on Facebook Live. At this time, we're going to call up a couple of the confirmation students to help us with the Advent reading as we start our Advent season. I'd like to welcome Connor, Kyle, and Matthew forward. Could all please rise for the Advent reading? Today is the beginning of Advent, the time we prepare to celebrate Christ's birth. We are here because God promises, God's promises to our ancestors came true when Jesus was born. God continues to keep his promise through the presence of his Holy Spirit. God will keep, his, keep the promise to come again in glory. The scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 and 6 through 7. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. With justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We light this candle to we light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of the God into the world. With the coming of the this light there is hope. Because of Christ we not only have hope for this life, but also for life eternal. The second scripture comes from Psalms 33:17 through 22. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strengths, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive from in famine. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help. And our shield. In him our hearts rejoice. For we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put your hope in us. Can you please bow your head and join me in prayer? O God, we thank you that Jesus brought hope into our world. You still bring hope into we you still bring hope to people, though through promises to your word, help us to be ready to become Jesus to welcome Jesus Christ so that we may think good thoughts and do good deeds so that we may be people of hope in our world amen thank you guys and now we'd ask that you continue to stand as we sing our first worship songs
Amen. I invite you to pray with me. Father God, we come before you now and we do praise your name. We lift your name on high here in this place. And we know, Lord, that we, as we gather here this morning, there are believers all over this world that are gathering to praise your name. Your name is being exalted all over the earth by your people. And we praise you and thank you for that. And Lord, the reason we have to praise you this morning, our purpose in coming here and gathering here in this place today is is because of who you are and what you've done for us. Today at the beginning of Advent, we reflect on, on Jesus's arrival here on this earth. The eternal son of God who existed before time began took on the form of an infant child to live and to die and to live again for us and for our salvation. Lord Jesus, you are our Emmanuel. You are the God who is with us and we are ever in, in your, we ever praise you and ever glorify you because of that that you are the creator and sustainer of the universe, and yet you condescended to become like us, to, to live in, in perfect obedience and righteousness in a way that we never could, and to die a sacrificial death for us to pay the price that we can never pay. Lord Jesus, you did this for us, and because of that, we praise your name and glorify your name over all this earth. And so, Lord, this Advent season, help us to remember who you are, why you came. And, Lord, Advent is also an opportunity for us to reflect on why you will return again. And so, Lord God, during this Advent season, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us so that our hearts and our minds may be set on you and in you alone. Help us to set aside the distractions of this season. And and remember why it is that we celebrate. And Lord God, we know that we can come to you in prayer, not just with our praise and thanksgiving, but with our requests and intercessions as well, because you are our Emmanuel. You are the God who came to live and die and live among us. And we are, we know. And so we lift up our concerns to you this day those that are represented in our bulletin with a prayers and concerns list, as well as other burdens we carry into this place. We come to you now and ask that your will would be done in each of those situations. Lord, we think of those who are in need of healing. We ask that your healing hand will be upon them. We think of those who are dealing with a lack of provision, Lord. I pray that you would, be, you would be the one to provide for them and that you would use your people to step in and to help those who are in need. We think of those, especially during this holiday season, who are still grieving the loss of loved ones over this past year. And we ask that you, Lord, would be present with them, that your spirit would be a spirit of comfort and grace and strength. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to be your people, people that are bold in in proclaiming your truth, people that are bold in the way that we love others with the love that you have shown us, people who are bold in living out their lives as an example of what it means to know and love and serve you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. 
thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You may be seated, and then we want to invite the children forward at this time for children's chat with Mrs. Car- Miss Carolyn. And I believe she's going to be talking to you about the Advent wreath. Is that right? So why don't you guys sit on this side of the stage? You guys can come up and join us now at this time. Over here. Stay over here. Come over here. Gotta wait for people from upstairs to come down. Wanna sit over here so you can see what's going on? Huh? All right. I am so excited and happy today. Are you guys? Why should we be happy? Why should we be happy? Huh? What'd we do? What'd the boys do this morning? What'd they like? And you know what that candle means? This is when we start getting ready to celebrate Jesus' birthday. Advent. We're preparing for Jesus' coming. Now that's exciting, isn't it? That's Christmas. And then while we celebrate at Christmas is when Jesus came. Now, I have an Advent candle here. Hi, guys. Does that look like the one we have up up here, up front? Yeah, and I've got color pages for you to color, so you can do it at home. How many candles are there? Five. Five. How many candles are we going to light first? One. How many will we light next week? Two. How about the week after that? Three. And then the fourth one? It's almost Christmas then. When do we light the white candle? And what's that white candle mean? Jesus' birth. And that's why we're happy and excited to get ready to celebrate that. Years and years and years, many years before Jesus was born, God talked through the prophets and told his people all about Jesus' coming. So they were waiting for that. They were waiting for him because they knew he was coming. They just didn't know when. Is Jesus coming again? Do we know when? No. But God keeps his promise. The prophets told him all about when Jesus would come the first time. And everything in the Old Testament matches everything in the New Testament exactly as God told prophets like Isaiah, right down to the last period. He had it all down pat. There's a circle under this wreath. Why? All this green stuff is on a circle. Does a circle have a beginning or an end? Let's see, this goes round and round and round forever, doesn't it? And that's just like God's love. God loved us so much, he sent his son to us, and his love will never, never end. There's green stuff on here. What's that mean? 
You know what that means? You pine trees and stuff. Do you, do they drop their leaves like in the wintertime? Do they turn red or, or yellow or orange? No, they're evergreen, like everlasting life, which is what Jesus gave us when he died on the cross so we could be with God. So all those things are really special. There's a different colored candle up there. What's that one for? You know what that one's for? What color is it? It's pink. And that is the candle of rejoicing. Rejoicing that Jesus has come. And that's what the shepherds were rejoicing. And the angels rejoiced. And all of that stuff. Isn't that exciting? Huh? Jesus Christ is king. Can we say that? Perfect. And we're going to celebrate his first coming and get ready for his second coming. Because when we light those candles, Jesus is the light of the world, isn't he? Makes everything dark bright again. So we're happy and excited. And we want to share this with other people. Because some kids don't know anything about it. So you need to share that exciting time. Okay? Let us say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for hope, love, joy, and peace. And most of all, we pray for the light of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in this dark world. Help us to embrace the real meaning of Christmas. Please give us the words to share with others as we tell them about Jesus' birth. We thank you for your never-ending love, a love so great that you gave your Son to die for our sins so we may live with you in eternity. May your grace be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can head back to your seats. Thanks, Carolyn, for that children's chat. It's like there's a coloring page over there you guys can grab before you head back. As the choir comes forward, I just want to take this opportunity to remind you of the Advent devotional that we have available here at the church. I noticed this morning that the ones by the parking lot entrance, which most of you guys use, were gone. I, uh, so there are some other ones around the entrances. I do want to encourage you to pick one of those up. The devotional begins on December 1st. So today is the first Sunday of Advent, but the devotional is designed to run from December 1st to December 25th. I want to encourage you to pick one of those up today, and if you would like to grab an extra one to give away to someone, you can certainly do that as well. Um, It's going to be a great way to prepare our hearts and minds for Christmas, focusing on a lot of questions of why the nativity, why Jesus came, and what that means for us. So I want to encourage you to pick one of those up today. Our offering today goes to support Mercy Unlimited Jail Ministry. If you're able to and willing to give this morning in the offering, it'll support that great ministry, reaching out to people who are in need. So this time I want to invite the deacons forward to collect our offering.
There are two scripture readings this morning. The first reading comes from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the second reading is Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Father God, we come to you this morning um, at the beginning of the season of Advent in anticipation and excitement for what this season represents. As you begin a new sermon series today, reflecting on why you came and what that means for us, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this place. I pray that you would soften the hearts and minds of all those who listen to this message. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give me words to speak, words of truth and, and challenge and comfort. May they be words, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we begin this season of Advent, I think it's always good every year to pause and remember what it means and why we celebrate Advent at this time of year. As Carolyn and others have helpfully pointed out already today, Advent are the four Sundays that are leading up to Christmas Day. Of course, Christmas is the celebration of Christ's birth, the God of the universe who created and sustained all things, the Son of God who existed from before time began, comes and dwells among his people. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And, and Advent is a time of preparation leading up to that day. Advent is a word that simply means arrival or coming. And so when we think of Advent, we think of Jesus' arrival we're anticipating Jesus' arrival on this earth in the form of an infant child. But the reality is, is we as a church, not first church, but we as God's people live between two advents. Right? As we think about and remember the advent of Christ back 2,000 or so odd years ago, we also look forward to his advent that is yet to come, his arrival when he returns to establish his kingdom. And so the church historically has recognized the tension in this time of year, in this season, both reflecting on his first arrival and looking forward to his next. And so with that in mind, I, I decided this year what we are going to do over these next few weeks is reflect on the gospel of Christmas. We're going to reflect on the reason why Jesus came to begin with. And it's not about Christmas trees or presents. It's not about... Um, the different activities that often surround and define this time of year. The reason Jesus came was to rescue us from our sin. And the reason he's going to come again is to establish his kingdom and gather his people together 
so that we may live forever with him. And so to do that, we're going to look at several different passages over these next few weeks. But the one scripture that's going to be kind of the foundation for us from beginning to end is John 3.16. And you heard that just read for us this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so for three Sundays, because we have the, also have the Sunday School Christmas program coming up in a couple weeks, we're going to reflect on the significance of John 3.16 and what that means for us at Christmas. And so for today, we're going to look at the first part of that verse, as well as Romans 5, 6 through 11, to help us understand it better. So for today, as we reflect on why Jesus came, we're going to look at the first part of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Now, before we jump into Romans 5, it's important to note a connection between John 3.16, Romans 5, and and many other passages throughout Scripture. We heard me say before, and other pastors uh, mentioned that, that the Greek language has multiple words for love. The word for love that is used here in John 3.16 is the same that's used in Romans 5.8 when it talks about God demonstrating his love for us. And that word is agape. It's, a, it's the love that is sacrificing. It is self-giving. It is unconditional type love. It's often the word that scripture uses to describe God's love for us. It's his agape love, his self-giving love, his sacrificial love. And we know from John 3.16 and Romans 5.8 and other passages that, that God loved the world. He agaped the world, right? And he demonstrated that love through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. See, this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, that we would know and experience his love for ourselves. And so in order to, I think, understand what we're going to talk about today, we need to go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. When God created the universe and everything in it, he created human beings in his image to know him, to love him, to serve him. In other words, have a relationship with him and to represent him well in this world that he had just created. And when God looked at everything, when he looked out at his creation, including men and women, he looked at them and he said, it is very good. There was a good and perfect creation that God had established. And when he did so, he looked out and said, it is all good. This is great. But then we know how the story goes after that, right? In Genesis 3, something happens, right? Sin enters the world and, and breaks, disrupts God's original intent for creation. You see, we were originally created to represent God in the world, but that image of God in us is broken and distorted because of sin. We were originally meant to be in a relationship with God, but the sin that had entered the world and affects every one of us, it separates us from God. And that's represented by Adam and Eve being exiled from the Garden of Eden at the end of chapter 3. See, that's why Jesus came, to restore what was lost at the fall. All of Scripture from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 describes God's unfolding plan of salvation to rescue us from the power of the penalty, and yes, even the presence of sin one day. And at the center of God's plan of salvation is a child born in a manger. Right? Is the Son of God taking on flesh and becoming like one of us. The very center of God's plan of salvation is His Son, Jesus Christ, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
He lived, he died, and he lives again to demonstrate God's overwhelming agape love for his people. That's what God intended for us in the beginning. And that's what God has been working from Genesis 3 on forward. God has been working to to restore what was lost, to redeem his people. And so in order to understand the magnitude of God's love, we must also understand, understand the depth of our sin. We must understand what we lost and the price that God paid to rescue us. Why did Jesus come? Right, that's the question we're looking at here this morning. Why did Jesus come? Why did he choose to be born in that manger 2,000 years ago? He came to rescue us from sin through the sacrifice of his son to guarantee our sanctification. Let me say that again. Jesus came to rescue us from sin through his sacrifice in order to guarantee our sanctification. Let's look at each of those three parts in turn. And I want to encourage you, if you have your own Bible or following along in your bulletin, we're going to look again at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Now, these, these verses don't miss, mince words when it comes to describing the sinful state of humanity. There's four words that this passage uses to describe two very important concepts that we need to focus on here this morning in order to understand just how far we've fallen. The first group of words are ungodly. We're described as sinners. We're described as enemies of God. In other words, we are completely lost in our sin, and by nature, we are in opposition to God. Right? Again, remember, God created us to know him, to love him, to serve him, to represent him well in the world, but because of sin, that's all been lost, that's all been broken. So Jesus came to restore what was lost, but in order for us to understand that, we need to understand just how far we've fallen. The natural state of all human beings is sin. It's a spiritual sickness that affects us at the very core of our being, and no one is immune to its effects. If you were to read through Romans from beginning all the way up here to chapter 5, you'll notice a, a progression as Paul continues to build his argument throughout this book. In Romans 1, Paul reminds us that God reveals himself, reveals his character, his glory through creation so that no one is without excuse. In other words, he says what, what is what is evident about God is plain to all people. And so no one is without excuse. And then Romans 2, he reminds us that, that both Jew and Gentile alike are held to the same standard. All are held to the same standard. The law that God had given us and the law that is written on our hearts. In Romans 3, he reminds us that all people have fallen short of that standard. And the, one of the more famous passages in the book of Romans Chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Everybody, no one is righteous, not even one. The one common thing that all humanity shares in, whether they're living today or 2,000 years ago, whether you're born in the United States or living in China or North Korea or anywhere else in the world, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Those words describe each and every one of us apart from Christ. We are ungodly, we are sinners, and we are enemies with God. You see, sin is an infinite debt that cannot be paid, and it's an infinite canyon that cannot be crossed. I wasn't sure if anybody was going to be sitting up here in the balcony this morning. I know sometimes some people do, and I feel like they're close enough I can reach out and kind of high-five them. But I want to, I want to use our balcony here as a little bit of an illustration for us this morning. 
Imagine if you were on this side of the balcony and, and it represented a cliff with a, you know, at the edge of a giant canyon, right? And there was no other way around it. There wasn't a horseshoe, right? It was just a sheer cliff with no way of getting across. And yet on the other side is where you needed to be. This side of the balcony represents God and his salvation. It represents that restored relationship, right, that, that, that God desires for us. And yet there's no way for a person to get from point A to point B by themselves, right? If there is a person sitting on this side of the balcony, there's no way they could cross it, right? And again, we're avoiding that part of the balcony. We're ignoring that for just a moment, right? There's no way a person could get from point A to point B on their own. There's no way they could cross that gap. That's like what sin is in our lives. It is a gap that cannot be crossed. It is a chasm that cannot be filled on our own, right? But, but that is what Christ has done for us is he has come and he has created a bridge so that we can get from point A to point B. We can go from ungodly sinners and enemies with God to people who are justified and redeemed and restored. And that only happens through Christ and his death and his resurrection. Before we move on, it's important also to note that God doesn't grade on a curve. When we think about our sinfulness, there's, there's some of you out here I'm sure today, and, and I've thought this as well, that, that we think, well, yeah, I've made mistakes, but I'm certainly not as bad as that guy, right? We can all think of someone in our life that is, that is worse off, has done worse things, that is more evil than us. And so we, we just assume that God's going to grade on a curve, that we are going to be in good shape because we're just not as bad as that other person. But that's not the way that God works. We are judged on the perfect standard of Jesus Christ his perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness. And compared to that standard, we all fall short. And so the first thing that Romans 5 reminds us of is that we are sinners. We are ungodly. We are enemies with God. And the fourth word that, there, that Paul uses to describe us here is just as important, that we are powerless. In other words, we are unable to save ourselves. We were incapable of initiating or even contributing to our salvation. Paul writes elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And I think that's such a perfect description of what it means to be lost in sin. We are dead, and there is nothing a dead person can do to save themselves. They cannot perform CPR on themselves. They cannot drive themselves to the hospital. Even if they could, at that point, they're beyond help. In order to bring a dead person back to life, it requires a miracle, doesn't it? It requires a miracle of God that none of us can perform on our own. And that's exactly what Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 describes. Dead people being made alive in Christ. And what is the reason Paul gives for this incredible transformation? What what does he tell us is the reason behind God giving life to dead sinners? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, but because of his great love for us. And yes, it's that same word. It's agape love of God. That's what makes the difference. We are powerless to save ourselves. Yet in Christ, because of his death and resurrection, he has made a way for us to be redeemed. And that is through his sacrifice. And that's the second word. We are, Romans 5, 8 teaches us that we are sinners, but it also teaches us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is his sacrifice 
that makes the difference. It is his blood shed on the cross that redeems us. You see, there's a, Paul was drawing on the, the imagery of the Old Testament sacrifices in the temple to help illustrate his point. He's saying that just as those animals were sacrificed in the Old Testament to cover over our sins, Christ Jesus sacrificed himself in the same way. Probably one of the greatest examples of this analogy is the Passover lamb. And and the New Testament uh, makes that connection as well. See, at the Passover in Exodus, as God is rescuing his people from Egypt, he instructed his people to take a a perfect, spotless, one-year-old lamb and sacrifice it for their family. And after they killed that lamb, they were supposed to take some of its blood and smear it on the doorposts of their home. And when they did so, when they had the faith to step out and do what God had said, God spared their people from that final plague that was about to ravage Egypt. You see, it was the blood of the lamb applied to their doorframe that saved them. Now, again, it wasn't, it wasn't the blood itself. It was the act of faith, of doing what God had said, of trusting God that that blood would save them. And that Passover lamb was a foreshadow of what Christ would do for us. In the same way, but to an infinitely greater extent, we are, Christ died in our place, just like the Passover lamb died in their place. And just as the blood was applied to the door as a sign of faith, and trust in God's salvation, God, Christ's blood is applied to us as a sign of our faith and as a guarantee of our salvation. You see, as we think about Christmas and why Jesus came, we can't help but think of Easter and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. You see, Christmas would lose its meaning, would lose its significance without Easter. The angels to, jo- the angels to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and the shepherds to Luke excuse me, the angels to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, both point to the salvation of Christ, right? That Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. It is in his sacrifice that his birth finds its greatest meaning. You see, the greatest display of God's justice was his agape love at the cross. It's at the, it's at the cross that God's love and his holiness come together in perfect harmony. There's a story I heard once about uh, uh, two individuals uh, that were, grew up together. They went to school together. But upon graduation, they kind of went their separate ways. One of them went on to be uh, a judge. The other went on to lead a life of crime. And one day, decades later, they found themselves in the same room, in a courtroom. And yet it was the judge presiding over the case of this longtime criminal. Now, his crime called for a certain penalty, a certain fine. And the judge looked out and had compassion on this individual that he once knew and loved. But the judge couldn't compromise his integrity. He would love nothing more than to see his longtime friend go free and be forgiven. But he knew that his role as a judge could not do that. He could not forego justice out of love for his friend. And so as the judge pronounced the verdict, he also, as he pronounced the guilty verdict over his friend, he also uh, defined the penalty, which was a pretty substantial fine. And after hitting his gavel on the desk and uh, making the, the judgment official, the judge stepped down from his seat 
took off his robe and set it aside and pulled out his checkbook and paid the price for his friend. You see, that's what Christ did for us on the cross. We are all guilty of sin. We all owe an infinite debt that we cannot pay for ourselves. And when we recognize that we are guilty of that, we are at the mercy of a good and loving Father who sent His Son to step down from His throne and pay the price that we could not pay ourselves. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and it's through the sacrifice of Christ that our salvation is achieved. And finally, this is all done for our sanctification. Paul notes here that we are not just saved from sin, but we are saved into a relationship with God. He says, he says in verse 10, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Paul here is talking about reconciliation, about restored relationship. So as we reflect on the sacrifice of Christ for our sins, we must remember that we are being saved from the penalty and the power of sin, but we're also being saved into a relationship with God. Reconciliation is a way to describe restoring what was broken by sin, restoring that relationship that God intended for us in the beginning. Again, remember, when, I, when we started this sermon here today, we talked about creation and what God intended for us in the beginning. It's important that we remember that because we're not just being saved from eternal punishment in hell. That's a reality. But we are being saved into eternal life. We are being saved into a relationship with, our, with a loving God who created us and desires to know us. And when he saves us, he's going to restore us. When he restores us, he's going to make us more and more into his image. Pastor Tim Keller once said that God loves us and accepts us just as we are. And he also loves us enough not to leave us that way. God restores us. He redeems us. And as he does so, he makes us more and more like him. Having been saved through his death, how much more also will we be saved through his life? You see, that's our hope. As we reflect on the, the hope candle this morning, we're in what we can do to pull ourselves together. Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. And today, this morning, we're going to celebrate communion together. In just a moment, we're going, to, we're going to do that. And when we do that, when we share in the bread and the cup, we're reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. Remember I said Advent is about looking back to Christ's birth and his first arrival. But it's also looking ahead to his second coming. And communion serves the same purpose. It invites us to look back on our lives. It invites us to look back on the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. The bread representing his body broken for us. The the cup representing his blood shed for us that our sins would be forgiven. And so as we take communion, I want to invite you to reflect on your sinfulness. Take a moment to confess your sins to God. Because remember, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. But at the same time, we also look forward to Christ's second coming. The, uh, 1 Corinthians 11 says that when we take communion, we are proclaiming the death of Christ until he comes. 
And so we look forward to his second advent, to his return, when he will establish his kingdom, when he will gather all of God's people together, when he will right every wrong that's ever been done. Communion is a reminder to to hold on to that hope, to look forward to that day, that no matter what season of life you're, you're going through right now, no matter what struggles you may be dealing with, that we have a Savior who will return and he will establish his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that we have this opportunity this morning to hear from your word, to worship you, and now, Lord, to set our hearts and minds on the table. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you invite us to the table, weary sinners as we are, that the only requirement, the only qualification that we have, Lord, is that we have put our trust in you as Savior and Lord. And so we ask, Lord, that you'd help us to understand the depth and the gravity of our sin. Help us to understand the ways that we have fallen short in word and thought and deed and the things that we've done and the things that we've left undone. We come to you now and in the silence of our hearts, we confess our sins to you. We thank you, Lord, for the promises of your word, such as 1 John 1, 9, which reminds us that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to invite you forward to take communion. For those of you who uh, may not have been here before for this, uh, you can, we're going to invite you forward and you can come down either of the side aisles. There'll be two stations on each side of the altar. Um, you can come forward, receive the bread and the cup, and take that back to your pew and have a moment between of, of prayer and reflection and meditation for you and the Lord. Um, if you're able to and, and are willing to hold on to those, once everybody's been through the line and received the elements, we'll take those together as a sign of our shared faith and unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread And having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I invite you all who have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior to take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And this is his blood which is shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this sacrament of your body and blood. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we may know you, love you, and serve you in this world. We pray that your Holy Spirit would equip us and empower us to live for you and to be live in, in knowledge of your first advent and anticipation of your second. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we close our service of worship this morning. I invite you to stand with us and sing our final praise song, O the Blood.
Amen. I invite you to go in the knowledge that Jesus came to live, to die, to live again in order to rescue and redeem powerless sinners for himself. That includes you and it includes me as well. And we praise God for that. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.